0: Welcome to this episode of Healing with Hope, the official podcast of the Phoenix Method. This is Chris Breyer speaking. I'm a grief and stress management specialist. and I'm here to join you in your grief journey. And I just want you to know that grief is not a disease, nor is it a mental illness. And you're not going crazy. You're just experiencing grief. And grief is hard. So let's try for some survival techniques as we talk about the basics of grief on this episode of Healing with Hope. You know, many years ago, I had somebody talk to me about the two rules in life. And these are rules that nobody ever went over with us. They were just there. Rules we are forced to live by. Rule number one is that everybody dies. The question is, is that such a bad thing? In Tibet, they were refer to death as the dawn between two days. And the Mother Teresa said that life is full of achievements, and death is one of those achievements. Socrates said, To fear death, gentlemen, is no other than to think oneself wise when one is not. To think one knows what one does not know. No one knows whether death may not be the greatest of all blessings for a man. Yet we fear it as if we know that it is the greatest of all evils. Socrates had a lot of wisdom in that. We don't talk about death anymore. We don't prepare for it like our culture used to. Centuries ago, and in places in the world, like in Italy, for example, they still do this. They prepare for death. Here, we avoid it. We don't want people dying in our homes. We send them to the hospital to die. So we don't have to deal with it as much. Where our culture used to do it is that people would die at home. They would prepare the body for viewing at home. They would put the body in the parlor. People would come by and pay their respects. On a lot of old homes, the front door is wider than what it is today because we were able to get the casket in and out much easier. So they would lay the body out in the parlor for people to come and see and pay their respects. We weren't afraid of death. We weren't afraid of dealing with death. We respected it. And then, as society changed, that parlor in our home was no longer meant for a place for the dead or for death to take place. They moved it to the funeral home. The funeral parlor now does this. The funeral parlor is where we go and pay our respects to those that have died. But back at our home... The parlors became something that's no longer used for death. It's used for the living. It is now referred to as the the living room. Some place where we don't have to deal with death or talk about death. Rule number one, everybody dies. Rule number two is that you can't change rule number one. So what are we to do? There's a lot of things we want to do, we try to do, and society seems to restrict us. We want to cry, and then we're told, don't cry. We want to be angry, but yet we are taught to isolate and, and hold back our anger. We want to isolate. Sometimes we don't want to eat, or we want to eat all the time. And then there are those moments where we feel like we just can't sleep at all. And then other times where we feel like we can't get enough sleep. Or we just want to self-medicate ourselves, just so we don't have to deal with the pain. Or we just talk about dealing with our pain, and we never do. So we feel like we are going crazy. Folks, death isn't the greatest loss in life. It's what we do to ourselves. The greatest loss is what dies inside of us why we're still living. We talk about dealing with our grief and our emotions, and we don't. It's like we want to cross the ocean, but we just want to stand on the shore and stare at the water. Now, I understand grief brings a wide range of emotions. One moment we may feel like Eeyore. From Winnie the Pooh. Other days, we feel like Bill the Cat, and we just want to scream over everything. It's a roller coaster ride for us. And even though you feel like you're going crazy, you're not. You're having a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. Your loved one being here is what is normal, they're gone. It's an abnormal situation. So you're having a normal reaction to this abnormal situation. So if you feel like you need to cry, cry. I encourage people to cry. But I don't want to cry. I, I, I feel like I'll never be able to stop. And that's a normal feeling. But trust me, I've dealt with hundreds of people that have cried for hours and they've always stopped. They might start up again, but they do stop. And nowhere has it ever been documented in medical history that somebody has not been able to stop crying. So cry. Get angry if you need to. Just don't cause harm or damage. See, grief, it's a normal, natural response to loss. One needs to go through it. So it's not always a pleasurable experience, but it is a growth experience. Grief can follow a lot of different kinds of losses too. Divorce. I had somebody come in one of my group sessions one time that they were at work and served divorce papers and she had no clue that there was a problem in her marriage. Nothing that she recognized. And then one day out of the blue... She's served divorce papers. And she goes home, and all of her husband's stuff is gone. So all of a sudden, she has this, this, this grief takes place, this loss, major loss in her life. She, she lost the hope of her marriage. She lost her husband. There's a lot of different losses that took place in her life that day. So she came to our group because grief isn't all about death. Grief is also about divorce, or learning that you have a serious illness or a disability, or follows the death of a pet. You could be grieving the loss of a job, maybe you've been on the job 20 years and all of a sudden you were laid off. Fire, people who lose things to fire, their homes, their personal belongings, that's still a major loss. However, I would like to say that experiencing the death of a loved one may cause the most intense grief. So some things we need to keep in mind when we are dealing with grief or dealing with others that may be in grief. We need to understand that grief is an individual, unique experience based on the person experiencing it. Everybody grieves differently. When my mother died, I remember that my sister grieved differently than I did, as did my older brother. We all had different relationships with our mother, so our grief is going to be different. Same thing with my father. All of our relationships with our parents are different, so our grief is going to be a little bit different. Same thing when my grandparents died. My relationship to my grandparents was a lot different than my siblings. So our grief is going to be different. There are also circumstances of a loss that could bring a more intense reaction. Like, for example, the death of a child compared to a parent, spouse, or a life partner, these things could bring more intense reactions. Uh, the sudden death or a violent death will create a totally different grief reaction as well. Or the death due to a suicide. Those are the tough ones because all of these bring such an extreme grief response that we feel like we're going crazy by them. Also, a few things we need to think about is like um, our gender. So men and women tend to grieve differently. Most women will sit and process their grief. They'll cry about it. Um, they'll sit there with their tissues and a blanket on the couch, just rolled up in a little ball, and think about it and process their grief. Men, on the other hand, may tend to be more tinker, tinkerers. We, we go out to the garage and we'll spend two hours just tinkering and not accomplish a single thing. But we are processing our grief by doing that. We are entering our grief through our tinkering. Whereas women, and I'm not stereotyping saying all women or all men are like this because there are gender switches. Sometimes men will sit on the couch with a blanket in their Kleenex and process their grief, whereas women will go out and work in the yard or do something like that. We need to realize that men and women grieve differently, and we need to allow that to take place. Another thing we need to realize is age and life experiences to death. The older we get, the more in tune to the idea of death. We still don't like to talk about it. We, like, we still avoid it. But as even life experiences, it all ties us together into understanding more about what's taking place. I cannot tell you how many people I have sat with that have died as I've held their hand or talked with them or prayed with them or cried with them and their families over over the pending death or the, the person actually passing away while, or dying while we're there. and um, uh, I have come to the point and, and I'm talking about I have been with hundreds and I've come to the point now to where I have such a, a respect and I, I, have, I honor so much. I consider it such an honor to be present when somebody dies. We should also be considering our culture and our faith because these have such a big impact on our lives. They, they influence our beliefs about death and how we respond to death. And then our personality. Different personalities can lead to different ways of coping. Some people, again, may want to sit on the couch and process their Grief. Why other people want to go out and do some work to process a different personality. Some people may want to drink to process their grief or uh, just sit quietly and stare. That's all okay. Now, when I say that's okay, when grief hits us and it's such a tragic loss, we go into a tailspin sometimes. I tell people, for the first three days, let them have this. Let them d- go through this abnormal response to grief and then we start worrying about it. If somebody just wants to not eat or cannot eat, we watch them for about 72 hours and see what's happening. They, they need to be able to eat. If they go through that or they drink or, or can't sleep or do nothing but sleep for at least 72 hours, we want to pay attention to that type of stuff. Okay? and try to um, mitigate it to a point where they start going more into a healthier stream of of dealing with their grief. So some of the things I like to tell people, there are six helpful things we can do when we've had a loss. We need to think about our loss, and we need to think a lot about it. We need to trust that our system is bringing up these thoughts as part of our healing process. Sometimes we, we just stay so active we don't want to think about what took place but we need to do that we need to think about our loss and trust that these thoughts are coming up as part of our healing process uh, the longer we put off dealing with our loss uh, it becomes more complicated to deal with it uh, but it's not still not considered a disease or mental illness it just becomes uh, more difficult because we think that if I don't think about it, if I don't deal with it, I don't. It, it's going to go away. But it, it's like taking a shirt and wrinkling it up and sticking it in the back of your drawer for years and not thinking about it. And then one day you pull it out, and there it is, just like you left it. But you still have to iron it. You still have to deal with it. Okay. Um, Our grief does not change. It does not go away. We have to deal with it. We also need to talk about our loss. And there's a lot of release in talking about our loss. And we may need to talk about it a lot for a long time. And that's okay. We may feel like nobody wants to hear about our loss anymore. They're tired of hearing about it. But you still need to talk about it. And that's where group sessions come in really handy is that so you can talk about your loss. You can also write about your loss. Journaling can be a very powerful tool for healing. Um, I'm a big advocate about uh, for journaling. Um, we go through that in our groups and we talk about the importance of, ju- of journaling and, and why it's so important. Uh, and I don't believe in using a tape recorder and sitting down and recording our thoughts. I don't believe in using the computer to type out our journal I believe in the good old-fashioned pencil and paper and processing our thoughts. That's where the healing comes in. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. We also need to cry about our loss. You you know, tears can relieve a lot of pressure. And they do not mean that we are weak or out of control. Tears are just that, they're tears. We also need to make space for our loss. We tend to lose our routines when someone dies. And respecting your need for healing and creating time to grieve is important. And we need to try to get back into our routine as much as possible. At the same time, we need to make room in our life to sit and spend time with our grief. We need to take care of our health after our loss. It's very typical when somebody dies that the people grieving... Will neglect their care. They won't go see their doctor. They won't, they'll put off a test that they had scheduled, uh, a medical exam. And the grief and the stress that comes along with our loss, um, we really need to stay on top of our health and and go to our doctor and and go and do our medical testing, our screening, whatever we had, uh, a follow up appointment. We need to do that and uh, take care of ourselves. Exercise also releases a lot of tension and a lot of anger and a lot of frustration. So taking care of ourselves is a a really important thing that we need to do when somebody dies. Also, we need to be honest with our grief. Society has taught us a lot of bad information about grieving. We've learned not to show our real feelings at any cost. We've been taught to bury our feelings that dealt with our sadness we were always taught, and you've heard these cliches, laugh and the world laughs with you, cry, and you cry alone. I'm not going to be around here and watch you sob. Go to your room and cry. Now, be strong. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in a room with families or with a person where somebody is dying, and I've heard them say, I've got to be strong. Why? This really isn't the time to be strong. Where is it written you have to be strong when somebody dies? It's not the time to be strong. What do we need to be strong for? Grieve. It's okay. We need to let people see us grieve because people don't know how. You know, children, um, they grow up not knowing how to grieve because they've never watched their parents grieve in a healthy manner. They don't know that it's okay to cry when somebody dies. How about don't burden others with your feelings? Oh, this is my favorite. God won't give you any more than you can handle. Where does it say that? And now we're blaming God for the situation. We need to realize that time does not heal the pain caused by loss and neither does lying about our feelings. It's okay not to be strong. You need somebody to burden with your feelings? Get a hold of me. We need to process our feelings in the moment. There's no skills required to tell the truth. You know, 20% of our ability to communicate is verbal. That leaves 80% as nonverbal. You know, voice, tone, facial, and body signals. When your verbal and your nonverbal don't match, most people will respond to the nonverbal. For example, um, a very good friend of mine uh, I, I used to work with, her son died. He died on his birthday. It was also my birthday. We had the same birthday. And he was in the hospital, and he died uh, on his birthday. And I remember she, she was out of work for weeks. And then when she came back, I remember seeing her walk down the hall. I was just giving her space, checked in on her occasionally. But one day, she was walking down the hallway, I saw somebody stop her and say, hi, how are you doing? And as they were talking, the person that approached her positioned themselves so that she couldn't just walk away as easily, kind of like blocked her path. But she said, you know, I'm okay. But her facial and her body expression didn't say that, or nor did her eye contact. And I noticed that, and I walked. I just kept walking. But then about a half hour, I came back down that same hallway and they were still there talking and I heard the person that approached her uh, shuffling on and piling on advice. And the problem with that is we get overwhelmed and people don't like our, how we're grieving so they're going to tell us how to do it correctly. So when we are asked, hey, how are you doing, you just simply be honest hey you know I'm having a tough day thanks for asking and as you say thanks for asking you're putting your hand up as if though you're saying stop it's given a, a nonverbal communications I'm having a tough day but thanks for asking notice that when you do that your answer is truthful and it does not invite any help or advice and it has a capacity of serving notice that you're not on your game, but thanks for asking, again, with a hand signal, and then you're free to walk away. So be honest with our feelings, because remember, when you lie, most people can see it. So let's talk about some things to do to help you in being able to talk about your loss. I like to tell people to write a letter. We talked a little bit about journaling and how I like the people to journal with a pencil and paper rather than a computer or anything like that. So the same thing here. Write a letter to somebody who has not learned of your loved one's death and tell them as many details of the death and of the funeral as you can. A couple of reasons for this. One is it's going to help spark your memory and jog your memory. Uh, I had somebody tell me how angry they were that their sister-in-law was not at the funeral. It was her brother, and this lady's telling me that her sister-in-law didn't show up, and she was so upset with this. She hadn't talked to her in six months because of it. And as she wrote this letter, she realized her sister-in-law was there. Her sister-in-law even talked with her, that she had this mental block for whatever reason that she wasn't there. So this jogs, helps jog the memory as you write it. And you may say... Everybody I know knows about this death. I don't know who to write the letter to. So I say that to write the letter to someone who doesn't know of your loved one's death. Not to somebody you know that doesn't know, but to somebody. So this lady wrote the letter back then to President George W. Bush and Gave him all the details. Now you don't have to mail these letters. It's just something to write about and to jog your memory. She she sent the letter. I don't know if she ever heard back because you know how long the process of letters through Washington and all that takes. But she wrote the letter and sent it. So, but there's healing in doing something like this and writing about it. And in another episode we'll talk about the importance of journaling and what it really does in our brain to help jog our memories and to bring some healing to our grief. Also besides writing the letter to somebody who doesn't know about your loved one's death is journaling. Uh, I'm really big on journaling. Over 500 people through my group sessions and each one of them can tell you how I drilled into them the importance of journaling. So write daily in a journal And keep a list of your feelings, your thoughts, your memories. Uh, You might want to write poetry, do music, or draw pictures. Whatever you need to do to describe how you feel. Uh, Some people draw pictures with crayons because colors help them express their emotions. And when you're doing your journaling, what I like to tell people is is a, a couple of things. Very important notes here is all that grammar you learned in school and punctuations, forget it. Just write to write. Don't worry about your grammar, your spelling, your punctuation. Because when we start focusing on that kind of stuff, we, we lose the emotion of what we're trying to do here. I want you to write about your raw emotion. Uh, don't, don't worry about making it look pretty so you can publish it or anything like that. Nobody's going to read it but you. And if you want to publish it later, then go back and edit it and do all that stuff to it. But right now, just write to write. And as you're doing your writing and your journaling, you know it's good to, to write down like a date, uh, to write a little bit about the weather, uh, because weather has an impact on our emotions a lot of the times. And then um, once you finish your journaling, don't go back and read it. That's the bad thing. It's when you write, you go back and read it because you may be having a good day and then you go back and read your journal from a week ago and you realize how messed up we are when you're not messed up, but you're going to feel that way. So the idea is to push forward with our healing and not keep looking backwards to where we came from, not yet. I tell people to write for six months before you go back and read what you wrote. So each day, you're moving forward. It's like you're driving your car, but you can't drive forward if you're looking in the rearview mirror all the time because you're gonna crash. You need to be looking forward. So as we journal, it's about moving forward. So you write today, and you don't read that page for six months. You write tomorrow, you don't go back and read that for six months. Unless you have somebody like a therapist or somebody that tells you to go back and read it so you can see how good you actually are doing. Some people just aren't ready for that. Not this soon. I want to tell you a story about a young lady that was in one of my group sessions. Both of her parents had died. There were big accountants in town, and and, uh, the whole business was dumped on her, and she knew nothing about accounting. So she... um, had a lot of difficulties with this. She was in her, well into her 40s, never married, single, didn't date, anything like that. So she kind of isolated herself after her parents died because she didn't know what to do, let alone with her feelings as well as the business. So one of her friends uh, got her uh, into one of our group sessions and she, she participated, but she was uh, always sat off by herself and, and didn't talk a whole lot. And, and she never journaled. And we even I even gave her a journal to write in. and she didn't she never journaled. So we went through this for eight weeks. And then about f- five months after the group session ended, we had this reunion and um, a lot of different groups, people from different groups came in for this big banquet we had for the holidays. And she came walking up to my table and she had these these tote bags like you would get like at the grocery store or or Trader Joe's to carry your groceries in. She came up to me with three of these tote bags full of books. And she dropped them on my table in front of me. I looked up at her. I said, Sue, what's this? She goes, they're journals. I said, whose? She said, mine. I said, you don't journal. <laughs> she said, I started. I watched this episode of Oprah's. And she talked about journaling like you did. So I thought I would try it. And I can't stop. Now, this is a lady who developed like agoraphobia when her parents died. She locked herself in the house. She came out to go grocery shopping and and to come to the groups. And um, she says, I started journaling and I can't stop. I enjoy it so much. I have such a release in my life. The end of this month, I leave for China for four weeks. I said, China, of all the places to go... China. She goes, yes, I wanted to prove to myself that I deserved a vacation. I wanted to go somewhere that would be tough for me. She held a strong Christian faith. And um, though she knew she had to behave herself and not show her faith a lot while she was there, but she wanted to go over there and, and show herself that she was able to do this. So we talked about it a lot. A lot. And uh, I was very proud of her that she saw the value in journaling. And she said her biggest regret is that she waited so long to do it. So on that note, uh, journaling has a lot of wonderful healing properties to it. And I encourage you um, not to put it off and to pick it up and start journaling and get your your healing onto the fast track. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Healing with Hope. If you like these podcasts, please consider supporting them by clicking the support button on the top of the podcast page, or you can log on to our website and click the support link at the top left. Supporting our work helps to keep our services, including these podcasts, free to everyone. Be sure to follow our podcast and check out our website at www.thephoenixmethod.org and consider joining one of our online grief support groups. This is Chris Breyer. You can email me at dr.c at thephoenixmethod.org. Until next time, be good to people on your way up, because you never know who you might meet on your way down.